Lob it up to Rudy, put it down. Mitchell three. Yes! The rookie comes alive! Hello, Jazz Nation, and welcome to another episode of Hashtag Jazz. My name is Jason Walker, and I am joined, as always, by this guy. Who's that? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I I thought about doing playoff playoff tray again, but uh, you know we we got past that, and uh, um, yeah, I'm Trey Sanders. <laughs> just just regular, good old Trey Sanders, good old regular Jason Walker. That's um, and obviously pretty happy with the result uh, of the Oklahoma City Thunder series. Um, obviously less stoked with what happened today with the Houston Rockets. But we're going to spend the first like half of our episode talking more about the Thunder series. We wanted to try and do like a you know two for one, have another episode like a couple of days ago or like on Saturday. But we're both college students and life doesn't work that way sometimes. So, I'm so ready for finals to be over. I hate this history class. I hate it so much. I know my history teacher is never going to hear this class, but your class sucks, buddy. Like for real. <laughs> what? What <laughs> like, if he? What if he's one of our loyal listeners? I seriously doubt that. <laughs> I honestly like. I I actually called him um, because I wanted to figure out what I was doing wrong on one of my assignments, and he like he's one of those people that when he answers the phone, it's yeah. Instead of hello, Ooh. yeah. So that's when I knew I was just like, this guy lives in his own world, man. Like he ain't listening to anything like this. <laughs> yeah, he's making his own mind up. Yep. Well, let's let's get into the the Thunder series, and I'll just say this for the record before we go into this. I, I watched pretty much all of Game Six, um, and I don't think I enjoyed a single second of it. Except for, you know, the last five seconds when we knew we were going to win. But basically every other moment of game six, I was like frustrated. Oh, you're screwing up on offense. Oh, you're letting Russell Westbrook go off on, you know, on defense. It's like all this stuff. And so I was mm-hmm. normally I enjoy most of a jazz game. Like a lot of the other uh, uh, games in the series I enjoyed watching. That one I was just frustrated the whole time. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it was it was frustrating to watch because, I mean, let's be honest, we were all expecting the Jazz to just come out and destroy them. Yeah, and I guess it was added to the frustration that we shouldn't have even been playing a game six. That was probably part of my frustration. Right. Is like, we shouldn't have been there. We should have played this Houston game like yesterday, I think is, I don't know if the schedule would have worked that way. But yeah, we sh- we should have already have won that series by Game Six, and so the fact that we let Oklahoma City Thunder back into the series by bringing it to three-two, but ultimately it just came down to Donovan Mitchell, just the savior of our of our franchise essentially at this point, our our Lord and Savior Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> Who goes off for I think it was twenty or twenty-two points in the third quarter alone. Uh, I can't remember the exact numbers, but he ends up with. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, it was it was it was MVP caliber play in that quarter. Yeah, it, it certainly wasn't. He was doing it against the MVP, and he was often guarding uh, Russell Westbrook, which is obviously a very tall task. And you know, obviously Russell Westbrook still went off, but. I mean, Westbrook had, what was it, 46 points, but he took like 43 shots to get there. Um, and I think the Jazz did an excellent job, and this will be something else we'll talk about a lot, the defense. You know, yeah, they let uh, Russell Westbrook have, I think, more than half the points for the Thunder. Yeah, he had just over half of Oklahoma City Thunder's points. But everybody else did jack nothing. Like Steven Adams was the only other guy who got past seven or nine points. Yeah. So. Well, and that was a combination of just us playing lockdown defense on everyone else. And um, Russell Westbrook just kind of tunnel vision. I watched Russell Westbrook, and 
he gives the ball up when he wants to give the ball up. I there were so many instances where I saw either even Carmelo Anthony, who was I mean, good lord, he is washed up, man. He is just a ghost in a shell of his former self. And then you got Paul George. I give Paul George a ton of credit. Dude, dude can ball, but when you're playing with the uh, the epitome of me first basketball, you're not going to, you're not going to be worth a damn. I mean, he had, he had some, he, he was the leading scorer throughout the series, which I find to be ridiculous as to why what Russell Westbrook went into hero mode um, in game six, because yeah, game five, he, he woke up and really just was the whole reason that they came back from that 25 points down. Um which was in stressful in its own right. But man, I just look at Paul George and like their post game press conference where they're talking about, well, yeah, there's something here. We'll see what happens. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, there's not dude. You're going to go somewhere else. You're going to play somewhere where you can be the alpha. Yeah. And that, that's something that I saw. I actually saw something from a, it was a thunder reporter. And you know, I, I can't say that I've seen nearly as much of this team as obviously that reporter who's, probably watched every single Thunder game of the season, but he's talking about how this, this big three has, has chemistry, and I would just disagree just watching it. Yeah, there are three good players. Russell Westbrook, one of the more talented players I've ever seen, and Paul George obviously being a really good player, but they just don't fit together. You know, Not at all. They, you know, with the Jazz, it's, you know, the – the team is, you know, greater than the sum of its parts or however that saying goes. And the Thunder have managed to subtract value from the sum of its parts. I have no clue how that happens. I didn't know that was possible in the NBA. But the Thunder were kind of the epitome of that. And and I, I think it sometimes it stems back to Russell Westbrook's immaturity. Again, he's, you know, I, I don't want to call him names. Basically, he's emotionally unstable. <laughs> and and I think these last couple games proved that. Um, first off, he's snapping at fans, and then in game four when he made, you know, what was at that point, one of the more important games of his career in terms of his legacy. Um, and I think we talked about this in the last podcast, but he, he turned it into a, something about himself. It was it was all he, about me. Yeah. He, he's all about himself. He loves himself so much. I mean, he's that's he's that's how LeBron James is too. Le, LeBron will talk about, oh well, we got we got great production from this guy and this guy, but at the end of the day, it's all about me. It's my team. We're the reason we won. These guys helped, but sure, you know that's 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 the same uh, mentality Russell Westbrook has. And to go off that fan thing, I love his little post game like tirade on how Utah fans are attacking his family and it's kids and blah 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 and how it's really bad in utah i'm like dude it's got to be this is how it is everywhere you're just pissed off because you lost the series in salt lake like grow a f-ing pair yeah and and that is the thing with russ westbrook and you bring up lebron james lebron is obviously me first that's his whole thing he's trying to build himself up but the big difference between a guy like russell westbrook and lebron james again two of the more talented players i've seen in my lifetime LeBron is completely under control. He has control of himself, his emotions, and also like most of the NBA. But Russell Westbrook can't even control his own emotions. He can't control himself, which again is, I think, the number one thing separating him from being where he is now and arguably the best player in the league. Uh, And, I mean, as a Thunder fan, it must be immensely frustrating and it's comforting as a Jazz fan that I can trust on him, you know. I mean, in this game, last game, he goes off, has an absolutely great game, really good scoring. Uh, he finally seemed to catch that, that offensive rhythm or get into his offensive rhythm. And then in this game, he just decides to keep going. He decides nobody else is helping me. And I guess in this game, nobody else did help him, so he was kind of justified in that thinking. But, you know, he, he took 19 three-point shots. That was more, he had more three-point attempts than anybody else on his team had total field goal attempts. I mean, Paul George had 16 field goal attempts, and he went 2 of 16, so again, no help there. But, I mean, he he had 19 three-point shots. The Jazz had 26 as a team. And it's just, 
you know, he made seven of them, so it's not like he was doing terrible from from deep. But he was just he just got that tunnel vision, like you said, and it. I I I think that his inconsistency, and that was part of the reason that the Jazz won the series, is they were able to almost manipulate Russell Westbrook into doing what they wanted, and then you know using that in their defensive schemes. I don't know if Quinn Snyder's that smart, but you know. Well, it, no, I mean, Quinn Snyder's a Quinn Snyder is an intelligent coach. There's no doubt about that. He's he's like an elite level coach. But what kills me is that um, Billy Donovan on the other side, he had something that was working in that comeback to win the game five, where Carmelo Anthony literally sat on the bench for pretty much the entirety of the second half. And I was thinking to myself, okay, well, Billy Donovan finally found something that's working. Why not stick with that in game six? I was expecting the same kind of formula for for game six from him. And nope, he just went right back to what wasn't working. I mean, they got into the pain a lot more, but Carmelo Anthony was just getting in the way of everything. Like, I'm surprised uh, Russell Westbrook ever passed to him, like, honestly. Yeah, and, and I think the biggest thing for the Thunder moving forward is they, they might need to look at getting rid of Billy Donovan and or Carmelo Anthony, either or, maybe both. Um, Or, I don't know, because that's the thing, I feel like, the system is broken, and the only thing that will fix it is either Russell Westbrook massively changes or they just blow it up. And, again, I'm not a genius or anything, but I, I think they they need a, a drastic overhaul if they're going to look towards finals contention because as they are now, they'll end up in the playoffs pretty much every year, but every year they're going to lose in the first or second round unless something really changes. Yeah, because, I mean – if 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 you're going to keep Russell Westbrook you can't put two other all-stars next to him that are just as ball hungry as he is this is not going to happen i mean he they they did i feel like they had a better season last year and that was just Russell Westbrook the supporting cast and Steven Adams that i think that worked way better for them and then they bring in Paul George and Carmelo Anthony and then they just expect magic to happen like come on i mean billy donovan i i i wouldn't be surprised if he stays into next year if he if he does stay it'll, it'll be his last season yeah and, and i think just like you said the this last year for the thunder was better probably because they had lower expectations in terms of where they could go it was russell westbrook and just everybody else and you know, just like you said they bring in paul and carmelo and they it was all right. We're now a top tier team. We will go to the like Western Conference Finals, or I mean, at the very least, the second round. And they honestly should have been bounced in in five games. Managed to steal one game, instead lost in the first round in six games, to a team that has zero All Stars. I mean, there's this one graphic: the the big three for the Thunder have 22 combined All Star appearances. The Jazz have zero. And their leading scorer is a rookie. And they beat them. And they looked very much like the better team. So, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. but <laughs> well, It just well, needed to be it, said. It kind of throws a wrench into the spokes of that whole thing of, like, you need, you need uh, in, this, in this era of basketball, you need, like, two or three all-stars to win a championship. It really does. Because... You got Carmelo Anthony, who's well beyond his prime. He's almost useless in a lot of aspects. I mean, he didn't play a lick of defense the whole entire series. You got Paul George, who is very much at his prime, who is combating against the ego and the me-first mentality of Russell Westbrook. And then you have Russell Westbrook, who is just like, this is my team, and this team runs how I want it to run. I, want to, I, I I'm kind of curious as if if he even gives Billy Donovan like a, even a second of his ear. You know what I mean? Like, does he even listen to him? That's what I. That's really what I want to know. Like, my thoughts would be he gives about as much uh, listening to his coach as LeBron James does, um, and he's far less justified in doing so because he's probably the one who needs the most coaching. 
Right, yeah. Because uh, LeBron has the NBA figured out. He knows how to win games. He knows how to play. He knows how to up uplift his teammates. Those are things that Russell Westbrook has not figured out. He's a loose cannon. Totally. And, and he gets tons of stats. And that's the thing is that people rave about Russell Westbrook. And, again, I don't want to hate on the guy because, again, I think he's super talented. And, you know, you give him a great head on his shoulders. And, like I said, he'd be the best player in the league. Or at least he would inherit it from LeBron. But there's just, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to see such talent go to waste with a guy who can't control himself. Yeah, seriously. I bet I bet if he if he were to come, hypothetically, this is never going to happen, Russell Westbrook comes to place for Quinn Snyder. Russell Westbrook would be a completely different player because Quinn Snyder would not let him be who he thinks he is. He would let, He would make him be who he can be. He would settle him down make him more grounded and suddenly Russell Westbrook would be a triple double guy who would actually care about the team. Yeah. And that would be awesome. Give him a good coach. And that's why I think with Billy Donovan, you know, take out Billy Donovan, bring in a guy who will make him like if, if they were to do that, if the Thunder were to bring somebody in, they managed to somehow keep Paul George, you know, you come, come back to the playoffs and they would, they would beat the jazz. I think without question. Um, if Russell Westbrook was able to, you know, do all the things that you said, be grounded, and try and help out his team. Um, but I think we've we've done enough uh, ranting against Russell Westbrook, or at least berating him. Which, yeah, I, I don't really like berating a player, but there, well, there, there's there's some things need to be said. But yeah, I mean, in his mind, we would never say this to his face on the street, so. I might not. The man's six three. <laughs> I ain't scared of him. <laughs> Braver than me. If, if if we were sitting down across the table and he were actually willing to listen to me, I probably would. I probably would say some of these things, assuming he wouldn't get mad at me and try and deck me in the face. Which <laughs> tear your face off. <laughs> which he could easily. The man is clearly bigger than me and would kick my arse in a fight. Like yeah. I have no chance. Um. But anyway, let's talk about a guy who very much has his head on his shoulders, Donovan Mitchell. Um, we've already touched on this, but I just think it's amazing how much he stepped up in the playoffs. Because this is something I looked at in the regular season. It was somewhere in, I don't know, maybe January or February, where um, I went and I looked at his stats, and I looked at the splits, and I took all the games where like they were playing a playoff team and I compared Donovan Mitchell's stats when he was playing against a playoff team versus, or maybe I might've even uh, limited it to like the top four teams in each conference. And then I looked just all the other games and his stats and efficiency increased against the better teams. You know, it, it was better than, than against the, the lower teams, which surprised me. I, I didn't quite expect that, but I think, Having having already gone back and kind of seen that from Donovan Mitchell uh, previously, the fact that he stepped it up in the playoffs, and in the first round, he was the fifth leading scorer in points per game at 28.5. And that's just insane. The fact that he's not only leading rookies, which is usually where people would bring up stats during the regular season, like, oh, among rookies, he's, like, first in points and something else in this. It's like, no, like, in the playoffs, he's not just best among rookies. He's nearing the best among everyone, which is, again, absolutely and utterly insane. It's, I still can't figure out how he's managed to do it. And he's increased his efficiency. He's shooting better than he was back in the last couple months of the regular season. So, yeah, seriously, I, I feel like, I mean, it was all this culmination. I mean, for, you know, a couple episodes we were talking about, like, how um, I feel like Donovan getting that playoff experience would be so good for him. Um, and it has been. I mean, I feel like this is what this is what he's been aiming for. 
Um, SB Nation actually put up a thing that said the only rookies to score 20 points in each of their first six playoff games in the last 50 years was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, like, that's... Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, that that's just the insanity. And just him being able to lead this team. And that that's kind of, I guess, one of the themes so far with the jazz has been that, you know, no matter what happens, and we're going to move on to the, the Houston series and I don't know, five or 10 minutes, maybe, but this season has been a success. Even before, even before game one of the thunder series, it was a success. And just everything at this point, you're just pouring more gravy all over the whole meat and potatoes of what has been this wonderful se- season, which will likely end in the next few games. But you mentioned Donovan Mitchell getting playoff experience. And I think it's awesome that not only did he just get playoff experience, it wasn't the kind of playoff experience that like Derek Favors and Gordon Hayward got in like their first or second year, whatever it was, when we got swept by the, the Spurs. It's like you walked into the playoffs and you got your, your butt handed to you on a platter by the best team in the conference. Great. You made the playoffs. Have a, have a cookie. But they go in, and Donovan Mitchell leads a team. It's fifth among all players in the first round in scoring. And just countless times, every game, clutch plays. Except for, I guess, like game three when it was a blowout, or game four, whichever one it was. And, again, in that game six where it's like you think, all right, we need a bucket. Donovan Mitchell has it, and then he gets a bucket. One way or another. The ball leaves his hand, and... It goes through the hoop. And it's just every time he manages to amaze you, and we shouldn't be amazed at this point, but it's just every time he's consistent. And it's it's something I've never been able to see as a Jazz fan. You know, I became a Jazz fan at the tail end of the Stockton Malone era. I've never really seen a guy, and I didn't really follow the Jazz a ton during the Darren Williams era, but just to have this superstar that you can just count on time and time again. To, to lift you out of clutch situations. And I, I've I've said that last paragraph and a half about 16 times uh, during all these podcasts. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's been the, really the main storyline of the season. I mean, yeah, Rudy came back and uh, changed everything for us and we're here in the playoffs because of that. But yeah, I mean, you talk about I mean, you even referenced at the beginning of the episode the, the Lord and Savior Donovan Mitchell. I mean, every Jazz fan that has been following this team, you know, for the past at least you know six years, however long Hayward was here, um, you know, everyone was nervous. I was one of them. I was like, oh crap. Well, what's going to happen with the team now? Like, Donovan Mitchell's exciting, sure, but nobody expected him to be this freaking good. Like nobody. Yeah, and, and his ceiling is, is so much higher. Like, we're looking at a guy who's averaging 28.5 points a game in the first round of the playoffs, and we're thinking, this guy's going to get better. Like, the rest of the NBA has to be worried. Oh, I mean, dude. Yeah. I mean, he's going to he's gonna get better and better and better and better. I mean, I kind of think about, like, have you ever seen the, the movie uh, Celtic Pride? No, I have not. That is um, essential movie watching. It's um, oh, I can't remember who stars alongside him, but Marlon Wayans is like the jazz superstar, and it's the Celtics in the finals against the Jazz. And um, Dan Aykroyd and his friend—they're both like plumbers or whatever—they kidnap they kidnap Marlon Wayans because they don't want the Celtics to lose to the jazz. Like that's one of the worst things ever that could possibly happen. So they kidnap him so that he, they, they could potentially like lose the series, but then they end up becoming friends or whatever. And Marlon Wayans basically gets him to be like, well, you guys have to wear jazz jerseys for the rest of the season. Otherwise I'm going to report you guys to the police for kidnapping me. And they're like rooting for, they're rooting for the jazz and like all their friends, like their season ticket holder friends are just like, what is happening? I just kind of see that as like right now, like at some point the jazz are going to be just so good that people are going to want to like, just hate Donovan Mitchell, but you can't because he's so likable. 
Yeah, that's the thing. And it will happen. Donovan's already getting hate. It's just that group is, is focused on um, Philly fans who just hate on Donovan Mitchell because he's rivaling Ben Simmons, which I'm all cool with the friendly rivalry, but that rookie of the year debate got kind of poisonous. A little bit, yeah. So well, and he was stoking that fire too. But <laughs> yeah, he Donovan Mitchell did not help with a couple of those shirts. Although I loved them, I thought they were hilarious. But yeah, yeah. obviously, obviously that was not helping. Um, but yeah, just just looking, at Donovan Mitchell is joining the generation of of up and coming superstars. You think of you know, people talk about Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, uh, Anthony Davis. Um, Anthony Davis is a little old uh, for the group I'm thinking of. But just those like 21, 22, 23-year-old stars, and Donovan Mitchell's one of them. And so it'll be interesting to see how, I think especially next year, next year will be a very interesting thing because, and, and I'm almost worried because coming into this year, there were no expectations, which is why we've raved about how awesome this season has been because we had you know, expectations of like a 35-win season or whatnot, or somewhere thereabouts, you know, like finishing 11th or so in the West. Now we've done all this, the expectation will now be, you know, we talked about the Thunder, they had expectations to like at worst make the second round. That'll be an, an expectation for the Jazz next season is, all right, you made the playoffs with a rookie as your leading scorer. Now he's in his second year. I'll be very interested to see how Donovan Mitchell reacts to that pressure because so far he's been playing with house money. And I, I don't think he's going to buckle under the pressure, especially like with this with his astronomical rise to stardom um, this season and the way he's performed in the off season. I I don't I don't see that happening. It's just a matter of. Um, what will the rest of the team look like? I mean, Joe Ingles isn't going anywhere for a couple of years. Rudy Gobert isn't going anywhere for a couple of years. And now that uh, he and Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors, have figured out how to play together, I'm kind of thinking Derek's going to stay, um, if not for a little bit of money, uh, not a little bit less of a paycheck, but if anything, I mean, I really think Derek Favors is going to stay. Um, and Ricky Rubio, uh, game three, that was when I was just like, Ricky's staying. Like, he's going to stay. He's not going anywhere. And now that we have that camaraderie with everybody else and the way this team is gelling together, um, obviously today was, you know, it was a bad loss, but it's game one. So uh, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit there, but yeah, I just don't, I don't see Donovan Mitchell buckling under any kind of pressure from here out. Yeah, and I would agree with that. It's, it's always I'm always a bit of a worrywart, so that's kind of my thoughts. Because the thing is, is again, I feel like he's up to the task. I agree with you that, um, and that uh, I'm not sure if you said this outright, but I I think we can both agree that Donovan Mitchell has the mental fortitude to be able to, you know, withstand that kind of pressure that I, that I uh, brought up, and that he's going to have higher expectations next year. Um. But again, it, it will be interesting to see how they they formulate the team. You you bring up Derek Favors, um, you know I I agree that he'll probably be looking to stay because of this season because of how much success there was. Um, I, I think it might come at a bit of a cost, um, more so than most Jazz fans would like. But unlike in the middle of the season, I would not be opposed at all to see Derek Favors return. Oh yeah. I mean, every Jazz fan loves Derek Favors, but obviously, you know, if if um, uh, Dennis Lindsay doesn't see, you know, if he sees something down the line that he could possibly acquire um, in terms of filling that void, he's going to pull the trigger on it um, as much as he would hate to do so. But at, at the end of the day, like, I just, I really feel that, Derek Favors has a place here, especially with the way he has just bottled everything up and has maintained good performance after good performance through the trade talks, through, you know, after after the trade talks happened, just how grounded he has been, how much of a producer he has been. And 
it is such a comfort blanket to see him down low in the post, just bully ball. Like nobody can stop it because he's just too powerful. Yeah. It, and there's so much growth that Derek Favors can do. He started to, he's experimenting with three point shots and there's been a few games where he's managed to get him to go down. You give him another off season and suddenly he's like a 30-ish maybe percent three-point shooter. I don't know how much of a jump he can make. He's shooting like 20% this year. But if he can nail, say, one corner three a game, roughly, then, yeah, he, it becomes all that more dangerous um, for him, at least on offense. Because that's the main knock against him is that he can't spread the floor. But if suddenly he can, then the Jazz become a very unique monster of a team uh, just mm-hmm. just kind of defying that consensus alright um, but I think we're going to go ahead and move on to the Houston Rockets series the bad news we, we've talked all flowers, kittens, and butterflies up to this point um, except for that part about Russell Westbrook that was kind of <laughs> mean but let's talk about the 110 to 96 loss to the Rockets ugh yeah. <laughs> that that actually pretty much that actually was a pretty accurate assessment of my of my assessment yeah. to the game. Just ugh. um, and kind of oh, I guess my more detailed thought of this is that the Rockets are such a vastly different team from the Thunder. The Jazz were playing against a team that was being extremely physical. They have Stephen Adams, um. And just this rough team that they were, you know, playing bully ball with, going back and forth. And they have a, a guy in Russell Westbrook, who again we've talked is is a bit of a loose cannon. But now they're playing against a Houston Rockets team that is extremely, um, they're disciplined. They know how to do things. They have the best record in the NBA. They've got their, you know, their offense and their defense down to a science. You know. They've, they pull off a win 65 times. So they know how to win games and win them big. And I think it was going to take at least one game for the Jazz to adjust to where they'll even have a chance to even maybe make it a close series, which even then I'm not entirely sure uh, the Jazz can make this a close series. Because I feel like we're going, to, we're going to be at least seeing one more blowout game in this series, minimum, from the Rockets. Uh, just, just yeah. Because well, how they're they are. just they're offensively gifted. I mean, there's there's no other way to put it. I mean, you've got two future Hall of Famers in Chris Paul and James Harden on one team. Then um, I, I mean, looking at the the team stats right from the get go, the Jazz shot the ball pretty well. They were fifty percent from the field, but the biggest contrast I'm seeing right off the bat is Houston hit 53% of their three-pointers. That is huge. I mean, you, 50% of your three-pointers, that's a ton of points you're giving away. Um, we got out-rebounded by five. And the biggest one I'm going to look at, I mean, it was a high turnover game for both teams, but 18 turnovers in your first game against the Houston Rockets, that's recipe for disaster. Yeah, and I think some of that is just you're giving up free points, either um, giving letting them shoot 53% from three. I um, mean, you lower that to 45, and I mean, immediately you're almost making this a game. You mentioned the turnovers, and I would also point out free throws. We shot 13 of 22. I mean, just those oh three, yeah, it was awful. I mean, those three factors alone that would that would alone I think bridge a 14 point gap. But I'm not necessarily – I don't think we're going to see that much of a change just, again, because the Houston Rockets are just that much better. You know, Again, the first series, the Jazz faced a team that had the superstars. You know, you have Russ Westbrook and Paul George. They would – like in a vacuum, they would be compared very favorably, might be even better than Chris Paul and James Harden, depending on how you look at it. But Chris Paul and James Harden know how to play together their team is actually good, whereas the Thunder team wasn't really a team. So there, it's just this very rough adjustment for the Jazz and that they've, again, the the fact that they're a great team will not necessarily 
save them in the series. It'll be the only chance they have. But uh, I don't know how to explain that whole thought. It's just, I don't know. I, go ahead, well, do you have something you want to say? My my thing is, is okay, I, I don't remember when the series between Houston and Minnesota ended. But the bottom line is, is Houston has had longer, uh, has had a longer time to recuperate and kind of rest up, whereas the Jazz had less than 36 hours to get ready for this game, rest up for whatever amount of time they had, and get back on the court and play. Game six is, is yeah, we won that game, but that one, I mean, that was a tough game to win, and we were relying on one guy, Donovan Mitchell to get us through that. Um, but this team wins by community. It wins by relying on each other. And to be fair, the Jazz won the second half. They did. Um, they just dug themselves too big of a hole in the first half to really climb back out of it. Um, but, in, I mean, I look at it this way. We lost game one against the Thunder because of sloppy play. We were not doing what we were supposed to game two is a different story game three game four we we figured it out we were the ones that were initiating everything and i'm not saying that we can do the same thing to the thunder or to the rockets that we did to the thunder because obviously like you said the rockets are the best team in the nba for a reason they are offensively gifted they can score from literally anywhere on the court but when i was watching that game the only people that were really scoring for them was we got a few we got a few baskets from PJ Tucker, who by the way I hate I think he's useless, um, and James Harden and Chris Paul and um, what's their center's name? I can't, I've, his name is eluding me right now, Quick, but it was those guys. Like they didn't get really any points from Luca uh, Mba Mute. They didn't get anything from Trevor Ariza. They didn't get anything from Eric Gordon, which we can't rely on because Eric Gordon is very deadly at the three. We know that. But if you focus on just your defense and making James Harden work for every single thing he gets, same with Chris Paul, uh, you're you're a good – there's a good chance we could take one on the road, maybe two on the road. Yeah, I do agree, and I think – Game two will be very indicative of if this if the Jazz are going to go down quick or if they're going to drag this series out to six or seven games. Because like you said, if they clean up a few of these things, they get a bit more rest. Um, uh, when's game two? Wednesday. Game, Wednesday. So you get a few days. You know, two full days of rest. Um, really like two and a half days. Um, so I think we'll have to see if they do. You know, change things up, and they do all those things you mentioned. You make James Harden work. Cause obviously, James Harden, he's going to get his 25 at least. Um, he's just that good. But if you make him work and you make him take 20 shots to get 25, that's when the Rockets are beatable. And, I, again, it's just cleaning up a few of those things on offense and not giving up free points, either giving away points by turnovers, missed free throws, whatever. And, you know, not giving the Rockets 53% on three-point shots, which not it's not always necessarily uh, our fault if we're giving up those threes because with that first game against the Thunder, they were going insane from three, and you know we were still trying. Sometimes they're just that good. But I, I think that the Jazz, it's possible for the Jazz to push this to six or seven games. But, yeah, it's just going to come down to how much they can't like it. Because the thing is, the fatal flaw for the Jazz is that there will be times where they just go completely ineffective on offense for large stretches of the games. And, you know, and basically the problem with the with this series against the Rockets is if they have any of those in a game against the Rockets, then they're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And that's the main reason why I don't think the Jazz will even really have much of a chance to win this series is because I think they're going to end up having too many of those five- or six-minute stretches where they score, like, four points. Um, and the Houston Rockets are just too good for you to have those kind of stretches, and that's the thing that the Jazz obviously have to work on. 
uh, moving forward, especially in the next season. But again, we'll see how this this uh, series goes, um, and it'll be kind of a measuring stick for the Jazz to see how close they are to contention. Um, is yeah, uh, totally. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is this series is going to be the ultimate test of where they are and where they can go, um, because you know. A, Unfortunately, yeah, you win the first round of the of the playoffs. It just gets harder and harder, you know, and that's that's the beauty of it in a sense. But it sucks to watch when when it when you lose like that. But at the same time, like the fact that we did as well as we did in the second half without Ricky Rubio, I mean, that's a pretty good indicator of where this team is going to be. Uh, it sucks that Ricky. Uh, flared up that hamstring injury and we might not even have him for the whole series but man i mean i think if even if we had ricky tonight it would have been a different story yeah i definitely think so that's actually i some i somehow managed to forget is ricky rubio which is unfortunate considering how he how good he's been for this team um see so yeah, I, I i do agree this this game might have been a little closer because ricky rubio is good on defense and he can I guess kind of keep Chris Paul a little bit in check. Um, not necessarily stop him. But oh, he'd make his, he would make his life hell. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things we need. As long as Chris Paul is, you know, make his life hell and make life hell for James Harden too, put Joe Ingles on him or Royce O'Neal, then we can at least keep it close. And that's assuming we go on offense and let's say Donovan Mitchell doesn't go one of seven from three, then – Again, maybe we can steal a couple of games. I think that's very no. much possible. Yeah, we uh, totally could. It's totally possible because, as like, look at how look at how um, we beat the OKC Thunder in three straight games. We got in their heads. We mucked up everything. We made everything a challenge. We can do the same thing to Houston because we're playing against the biggest crybaby in the NBA and Chris Paul. I have never seen someone complain as much as that person does. And that guy's the head of the players union. Like, come on. Like Chris Paul. Oh, I, I just want to punch him in the face, man. I really do. Just like, stop. (laughs) Well, for how much he complains, head of the players union is like the perfect position for him. Right. And go figure. Players have become more pretentious. Weird. Yeah. I, I just don't like Chris Paul. And I would love to see just to have the Jazz somehow beat the Rockets and just have the whole media, the NBA, just come crashing down on the failure of Chris Paul and James Harden. That would just – we talk about this season already being a success. I might be ready to die if the, if the Jazz beat the Rockets just for how happy I'd be. Not only for the Jazz winning, that would obviously be the biggest thing, but also to see – Chris Paul just be relegated once again to being a failure. Yeah, seriously. I would love nothing more than to see Chris Paul not get past the second round, even to win a championship. Oh, I hate Chris Paul. Great ball player. Like, there's no if, if ands, or buts about it. He's great ball player. But, man, do I just – I hate him. The way he carries himself on the court, the way he treats other people, the way he just feels like he deserves everything. I just, I'm so sick of it, man. I'm so sick of it. There's too many of those players in the NBA. Yeah, and I, unfortunately, that's not going anywhere. That's unfortunately that is now the that is now ingrained in the the NBA's DNA, especially in this era. I mean, the, the, I loved Game Four. Uh, was it Game? Yeah, it was Game Four, the Thunder series. That was awesome. That was like old school basketball. Just everyone getting up in everyone's face. It was physical. People were flying on the ground, diving for loose balls. It was awesome. I want those days back. Yeah, I'll agree. Game four was extremely entertaining to watch just for all those all those reasons you mentioned. I won't, I won't oh, that game. basketball game was awesome. Yeah, those are the basketball games you wish you were able to play in just for all <laughs> yeah. all, that, all that raw emotion and excitement. Um, for real. All right, so, man, I was hoping we get a chance to do the – episode earlier so we could make predictions do you, th- do you think that the jazz will manage to carry this let's say do, do you see this game as a sweep or do you think the jazz can push it let, let's just say this how many games do you think the jazz will steal from the rockets 
That's a tough one. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think with this, with how the Jazz fans have been at home, I don't think Houston wins at in Salt Lake. I don't, um, because in my mind, Game Two is going to be a complete turnaround as, as far as physicality and effort goes. And not to say that there wasn't effort in the second half tonight. There was plenty of effort, and I got to give my hat off to Jay Crowder, man. He initiated a lot of physicality. I heard him on the broadcast talking to all the guys like let's keep it going let's keep it going um obviously there was more call for words in there um which espn did a pretty good job of muting them on the fly but <laughs> um yeah i don't know i mean i think the jazz win their home games uh but we might steal one on the road maybe um but and i, I if the jazz win this series yeah i'll be elated i would i won't sleep for days because i'll just be too happy about it but yeah i mean i think the rockets are just too gifted to not win this series yeah I, i'm a little more pessimistic i'm thinking that the jazz will probably lose in 5 maybe 6 it it will come down to those home games i think they'll probably they should win one of their home games. One of those two home games, either game three or game four, the Jazz should win one of those. Um, but I think just the Rockets are that much better. They're going on the road. It'll be really hard unless, again, unless I see something in game two uh, where the Jazz have obviously managed to adjust to the series and have adjusted their game plan. Unless I see something in game two, I don't think that this game goes further than five games. Maybe six yeah. based on a miracle. I don't. I yeah. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna maintain what I said, man. Because like, I really feel like this. This game was more of like, okay, yeah, we were. We were a little exhausted, but they turned it up in the second half, um, in a big way. And I know that Rudy Gobert is far too prideful to let um, Clint Capella get the best of him again, if not for the rest of the series, because he he knows what he did against Stephen Adams. He wasn't putting up the numbers that he was throughout the season on Steven Adams, but he was battling with Steven Adams. And he's going to do the same thing with Clint Capella. And Joe Ingles is going to take something personally, and he's going to go back to being his usual self and getting in people's heads. Donovan Mitchell, he's the dude's unflappable. He's not he's not going to buckle any under any kind of pressure. And boy, I would just love to see Chris Paul just cry tears of depression all over whichever court he loses on when his team loses the series i would love that it's not going to happen but i would love to see it it would just be great well it would probably end up happening um happening against the warriors so <laughs> yeah <laughs> happened last year against the jazz we'll probably see it happen this year against the warriors or maybe the jazz again again that would be completely awesome for Chris Paul to think, all right, I'm on Houston. I can finally get away from the Jazz. And then it's like, oh, shoot, I can't get away from the Jazz. They're too good for me. Oh, no. The bane of my existence. <laughs> <laughs> then next year he'll lose in, like, the Western Conference Finals to the Jazz. And then the Jazz will go on to win the, the Finals. You know, we can all dream. Yeah. Uh, I did. I, I tell you, I, I see the Jazz going to at least the Western Conference Finals in the next two years. I would not argue with that. So, uh, all right. Well, I think that's we've gone pretty long. We've, we've had to cover an entire playoff series and preview another. So we've basically done two episodes worth of work here. Uh, almost literally since that was kind of our plan initially. But, you know, looking forward to <laughs> – I don't know if I'm looking forward to it, but I – I'll definitely be keeping my eyes on this series just, again, like we said, to see how much the Jazz measure up to what is the West's best team by record. Um, and it'll, it'll it'll tell us a little bit about what we can expect next, next season, not only from Donovan Mitchell, but from everyone else, and if we have what it takes in the playoffs. So, all right. Any last thoughts, Trey? Um... No, I was gonna I was gonna throw more shade on Chris Paul, but I'm done. <laughs> uh, well, we th we already threw tons of shade at Russell Westbrook. You don't want to throw more shade at uh, Chris Paul? No, I'll save it for the next episode. 
the problem is, is that a lot of our criticism of Westbrook is justified. Like, we talk about his game. Chris Paul doesn't really have flaws in his game. He's just a whiny face. Oh, he's the worst. I think it rubbed off on Blake Griffin because Blake Griffin's that way too. <laughs> yeah, well, and even without him there, he still he still went to another team. So, I mean, what does that tell, what does that tell you? Yeah, uh, well, he got traded, so he didn't really have a choice. But well, yeah, but he also but, went to a worse team. Yeah, that's true. I I, I think Griffin would have probably tried to leave anyway, but I don't know. I just hate Blake so, Griffin. I hate Blake Griffin about as much as I hate Chris Paul. So that's saying a lot, man. Because I don't know. At least at least Blake Griffin is. I don't know. He doesn't complain nearly as much as Chris Paul, but He's still Blake such a Griffin whiner. is never going to get a ring. Like, never. Yeah. Well, he's, he's such a whiner. And also, it's his face. Like, Chris Paul, like, he doesn't look nearly as annoying when he's complaining as when Blake Griffin is complaining. Yeah. Well, and he's got he's got that facade of his State Farm commercials where he just comes off as Mr. Nice Guy. Like, ugh. <laughs> I... <sighs> I hate Chris Paul. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and leave it at that. We'll be coming back to you next Sunday. I don't know how many games. So let me check real quick. How many games will happen between now and then? Like two, three? Maybe three. I don't know. Because I really think we got one Wednesday and then Friday. I don't know if we have. Well, no, we don't have one Sunday because that will be a home game. Yeah. So we'll see three because it will be the one Wednesday and then they'll play. The fifth and the sixth. So there'll be a there'll be a game a little bit before our next episode. So basically, kind of what happened with the Thunder almost. Well, we'll have three games to cover. So this series could be over by the time of our next episode. I think both of us think it's going to continue, but because I think we'll at least get one game. But we'll see. All right. But thanks so much for listening, everybody. Um, Again, this is Hashtag Jazz, Jason Walker, Trey Sanders. Thank you so much for listening.